You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Joshua Perry. He's a keto consultant. Um, maybe most importantly, he's a brain tumor survivor. Uh, he's a foreign professional athlete, survivor, and a coach. Um, so he's got a really super interesting story, an amazing story. So Josh, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on, Richard. And uh, yeah, thanks for the love and support. It means the, the world to me to be able to share my story and my perspective. So I appreciate it. Um sure you're probably tired of telling it, but uh, you know, if you want to mind, can you give some background on what's happened to you? Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess from the beginning, originally born and raised Cape Cod, Massachusetts, um, into school sports like most kids were back then um, around where I lived and moved into uh, high school and stopped playing school sports to pursue uh, landscaping as a career option at home my own business one day, as well as BMX competition. And then come junior year, I was in a co-op program in the school going to work for two weeks, get credit and earn money, and then academics the other two weeks. But also come junior year, I was progressing into the professional uh, level of competition now and got an ultimatum one day from the boss to pick between working for him or pursuing the route of BMX. And uh, it was a no-brainer for me and went all in and actually dropped out of high school to do so, the support of my family, and moved 14 hours south to North Carolina to pursue BMX with Dave Muir and the other professionals. And you know, fast forwarding, there was a lot of success, and that meant uh, freedom to me, uh, living on my own as a teenager and then moving into my young adult years. And not the healthiest lifestyle, a lot of uh, late nights partying and drinking and chasing girls and not sleeping as much or as well as I should have been, and then just training all day the next day and doing it again and again. Um, and at this time, it was 2009, and it was the year I won my first pro contest, wrote X Games, left the country for competition the first time um, on TV, sponsors paying me to live my dream, basically. And at the same time, I was experiencing these debilitating headaches and migraines to the point where my vision was going. I was losing, um, well, I was losing vision, but I was also vomiting from the pain and the nausea that was occurring. And every time it was like five times, I think throughout that year, I'd gone into the emergency room and urgent care and just complaining of these headaches and vision loss and vomiting and kept asking like, Hey, shouldn't I get a scan x-ray cat scan, MRI, something to look inside of my brain because something doesn't feel right. And they kept saying, no, like you're, I was at, I was 20 to 21, depending on the part of the year. Um, and they're like, no, you're young, you're healthy, you're a professional athlete, you're in shape, you know, the blood work checks out, it's fine. Like you just have headaches. It's quite normal um, today. So uh, here are some pain pills, come back if you need more. And that was the go around every time. And um, I never took them just because I had a traumatic experience when I was younger and it led to vomiting. It was actually the flu, not the aspirin I took. But um, the last time I went in towards the end of that year, it was so bad. I said, screw it, let me take them. 
And uh, I was um, thankfully I wasn't driving on the way home because I just started vomiting in the car and had to pull over. And at this point, they're telling me I'm fine. Here's just take some pain mill uh, pain pills. But I'm on the side of the road on my hands and knees now vomiting so violently there's nothing but blood coming out. I'm surrounded by my own blood thinking like, man, like they told me I'm fine, but like, I feel like I'm dying. Mm -hmm. And I just pushed through like anything else I'd experienced in my life. And uh, I just started to accept suffering as a part of my reality because some days it was fine. I I could say, you know, I could ride and I wasn't throwing up. My vision was okay. And some days I couldn't really see well. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face without seeing like five of them. Um, And then some days the pain was just so bad I couldn't even get out of bed. And, you know, so I just pushed through. I did did what I knew uh, I had to do to live my dream. And I wasn't going to let something stop me. And it was a couple of weeks later after that that last visit where I was trying a new trick uh, for the first time on the real ramp. Um, we have like a, a foam pit where we, you know, learn tricks into safely like gymnastics do. And um, I went and tried it on the real ramp after I felt comfortable. And it was a smaller ramp than I was used to. And so I overcompensated the rotation and the flip of the trick. And ironically over rotated and fell and hit my head and got a concussion. And so now it was um, required that I get an MRI to make sure there was no swelling or bleeding, you know, no traumatic brain injury symptoms, things like that. And concussion was lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's crazy because I thought as I was driving there by myself, just turned 21 a few months prior, it's now March of 2010. My birthday was in November and I'm driving there thinking, you know, I'm just getting an MRI to follow up from a concussion. Um, they're basically just tell me, yeah, don't ride your bike for two or three weeks. Like that was my mentality. And as I'm sitting in the doctor's office by myself waiting, he walks in and he's like, Hey, um, you know, we have the report and you know, there's no swelling, there's no bleeding. So, um, you know, that checks out. And I remember standing up getting ready to leave and I was like, all right, so how long can I until I can ride? And he was like, no, like, you need to sit down. And I was like, well, what's going on? He's like, well, you have um, an abnormal scan and, I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, there's something in your brain that shouldn't be there. And I remember right. laughing out loud, like asking, like, well, what do you mean there's something in my brain that shouldn't be there? I couldn't possibly put anything in there. Like, what? Never thought right. anything right. of it. And he went on to explain, well, we don't know if it's benign or cancerous, but there's a very, very large brain tumor taking over the left side of your brain. And, um, right. You, you'll probably never ride your bike again. And if you don't have surgery, you'll you'll die. But there's still a chance you may die from the surgery. But if you want a shot at preserving your life, you have to have surgery um, immediately. Huh. So in my mind, I'm 21 by myself. I think I'm invincible, living my dream and some more than I ever imagined happening and just can't even fathom the reality I'm in. And then I get this, in my mind, all I heard was cancer, never gonna ride your bike again, you may die. That was right, it. Right. And so yeah. that's, that's starting your face melted off. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so stuff. interesting trying to explain that feeling just like with the different parts of the brain that like communicate versus feel things. And like, but the best way I can put it was two different ways. It was just like this roller coaster of emotions running through me and just like fear and anxiety and stress and worry and doubt. And like the victim mentality of like, why me? Like, what did I do to deserve this? The best way I can put it is I just felt broken. Like I just felt utterly broken. Um, another way I like to explain it is like, you know, you watch a movie and like a character gets some bad news or like that opening scene and like saving private Ryan, like this ringing noise just like takes over and, um, it, like the camera slowly like zooms out. Everything's like slow motion. And it was like, it was like an out of body experience almost like I was watching my own horror movie and I'm the main, main uh, star of it yet. I don't want to be, and it just, it feels like my yeah. world's caving in. Oh, sorry about that. So what, 
what was the progression from there? Yeah, it, it was interesting. It happened pretty quick. Um, it was about like a two week transition from diagnosis to surgery. And um, I'm out in Greenville, North Carolina, so east Eastern Carolina uh, area, and um, did some research and found Dr. Alan Freeman right out at Duke University, about an hour and a half west of me, where I actually I live right out in Raleigh now, so I'm right next to Duke. But um, he was said to be, you know, one of the top neurosurgeons in the world, and I went and met with him, and he actually he he said like he's like you're lucky you fell and hit your head, otherwise you'd be dead because. Yeah. The way this thing, the size of this thing, and then like the symptoms you're experiencing, and it's just a matter of a month or two before you wouldn't have woken up one day. He, he suggested so. Yeah. It, it was such a severe case. He actually moved patients out of his schedule to get me in sooner, and I thought that wow. was that was pretty pretty profound. Like that's how serious. Um, I mean, any brain tumor is serious, but um, the fact that the size and the effects that this thing was having over me, he thought it was necessary to get me in sooner than some other people. So, um, mm. yeah, I'm really grateful for that. And it was uh, supposed to be like four hours, but six, six and a half hours later, 75 staples, 16 stitches. Um, yeah, I was, I was awake and, uh, returned home two days later and I actually started riding five weeks later. I didn't know it only takes four weeks for the, the skull to fuse back together. Pretty oh, incredible. Well. So how did you feel at this point? And then, you know, Maybe moving ahead a little bit faster, we'll, we'll go over some of the major elements. But did you feel okay after the five weeks? Yeah, it was interesting because the transition during diagnosis to surgery, there was a shift of fear to, all right, well, instead of thinking of like, what if I don't wake up? Let's focus on what if I do? What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And why am I going to do what I want to do? And so I just kept focusing. And thankfully, I had videos of me competing and riding from uh, video projects we had done. And I just kept watching these videos. And I was like, man, like this is what I set out to do. And I made it happen and I'm not done. Like I'm not done, you know, living. I'm not done living my dream. Like so much more. So it just shifted to fuel. And then come five weeks, you know, it was four weeks. I went in, get the MRI. Everything looked, looked okay. Four titanium screws, you know, they settled in nice. And he said, he's, you know, Dr. Freeman suggested taking a week off just to make sure we're good. And I started easing back into things. And it was just like this, the waking up moment was like probably one of the greatest moments of my life beyond my birth. You know, like it was just like this cliche to say, but it was like a new chance at living. And I just had a new appreciation of life. So like this perspective shift, then come five weeks when I got back on my bike again, it was like a little kid all over again, like riding a bike for the first time. Um, But the, the the progression from there months on end, it was just a battle of getting my uh, confidence back in the things I knew I could do. And then like thinking of progressing trick wise, that was a, that took about a year or two to get fully back to the point where I felt like myself again, especially like flipping and spinning after having your head cut open to manipulate your brain as a traumatic brain injury of its own. But there's just a lot of variables. So I think I was in so much pain for a year, year and a half prior to the surgery when I woke up, even after the pain meds all wore off from surgery, like I hadn't had any pain anymore. And oh, wow. the only struggle after that, like I was so grateful for that, but the only thing after was just like that confidence to do what I knew I could do. And then some other things that I hadn't tried yet. So it was just mental at, at that point. But what were, what were the doctors telling you typically happens to people that, you know, had or have your condition? What, what was the survival rate? And did they tell you that you were going to be fine from there or that, you know, easily relapsed? Um, I, I actually don't remember. I remember doing a lot of my own research and looking into it. And um, I remember just anxiously waiting to see if it was benign or cancerous. And it was said to be benign. Um, but I don't remember what they said about other um, patients' outcomes. I mean, I'd have to. Yeah, it's a, it's such a 
like faded memory of that like specific moment. Like okay. I was just so focused on going in and coming out. Um, but I do know they, uh, they ended up testing it and it was benign. And it's uh, one of the more common uh, tumors that people are diagnosed with called a meningioma. Um, so it actually grows some meninges layered or skull. And it was so massive that it was pushing that far into my brain. Um, it wasn't developed in the uh, brain itself. It was like from the meninges layer pushing that far and deep okay. into my brain. So it's, that it made a lot of sense as to why I was experiencing what I was experiencing. So how did you end up with, um, you know, learning about the ketogenic lifestyle and, you know, let's bring it to today. How has your yeah. life changed since then and why? Oh man, it's changed in such amazing ways. Like people say, you know, like, man, that's gotta be the worst thing that ever happened to you. I'm sorry. And it's like, no, like, my perspective is I'm super grateful that it happened to me because it shifted my inter- like like entire existence. Like who I was just changed 180 degrees. And I really started to audit what I was doing in my life and what I could have done to create it. And it was after the second diagnosis, uh, 2012, where it was just a routine scan showed two areas had come back. And Dr. Friedman said it was because of the uh, original tumor wrapped around an artery in my optic nerve they couldn't risk hitting either of them because they could have a stroke or paralyzed or died. Um, that he said it was just residual cell growth and to look into radiation. And I didn't, I didn't, I was stubborn. My mom went through radiation, colon cancer. And uh, I was just like, man, like there's gotta be a better way. And I found gamma night yeah. radio surgery, um, which basically just zapped the two tumors that grew back. And for four years they shrunk and they've been stable ever since. So um, that, yeah. That was that was the second diagnosis, and right after that diagnosis, I started to like dive into more holistic health, and then I found Dr. Perlmutter's book Grain Brain at the end of 2013, and just the things he was talking about with like blood sugar correlation to brain health and epigenetics and keto. That was the first time I ever heard of keto. That's what really shifted my perspective of food and the power I had within myself and my choices to create the best version of myself and a resilient brain and create longevity. And in my mind, I was still like, this happened twice. And I'm in this perspective of like, man, like, I don't want this to keep happening. Like there's maybe I'm causing it. And so I made a lot of changes. And then it wasn't until, you know, I was living a high fat, low carb lifestyle technically, but I wasn't keto hundred percent. Like I was uh, tracking macros and I was like 100, 150 grams of carbs a day, like whole foods, but I was, you know, under the impression because I was an athlete. I need to make sure I had glycogen, um, all these things that are uh, kind of not what I thought they were today. (laughs) But I was was probably in a state of ketosis on and off because of my eating patterns and my training regimen. But um, I say I've only been keto for two and a half years because that's actually when I started tracking my blood. And that came after a third brain tumor diagnosis, February 2017. On the opposite side of my brain, two more popped up. So... Today, there's four in there. They're all chilling right now, thanks to Gamma Knife and Keto. But it was that third diagnosis that was like another wake-up call. I was like, damn, Josh, like you got to you gotta get your ass into gear and like get serious about this. So I was like, all right, I'm already tracking macros. I already understand this stuff. I've been learning more. Let's start testing the blood. And then let's like drop our carb sources to just non-starchy vegetables. And like let's audit, you know, how many grams per day. And let's do some more intermittent fasting, some more prolonged fast and um, yeah, that's what led me to where I am today. And because of that, uh, this February is two years of scans after the third diagnosis and no progression without med surgery treatment. So, um, it's really become a passion of mine and a passion to share. Well, how much do you think the, uh, keto lifestyle has contributed to either shrinking your tumors or maintaining your health? 
any observations by you know your doctors of surprise that things are better than they thought, or for you, luckily, the main medical procedures are what's working. Yeah, so I still don't have a primary. I haven't had a primary since I was a teenager. <laughs> um, okay. I just I don't want to be told to take pain meds or any kind of medication for this or like, hey, like this. You know, I I like I think. I'm good with what I'm doing and the people I'm following and researching their work. Um, but yeah, they just, here's your results. And I don't really tell them what I'm doing. Some, I mean, depends on the doctor. Like when I had uh, ACL surgery 2015, I was really clear with them with like my plan without pain meds, just diet, which that was before I was actually implementing a ketogenic diet. I didn't really know I was doing this, but before surgery, I cut out like anything that raised blood sugar in my mind. Um, and was a hundred percent like I'm just eating protein and fat. And so I was probably more in a ketogenic state than I actually imagined. But I think that's why when I came out of knee surgery, my knee was half as swollen as a typical patient. And that's what allowed yeah. me to get back on my bike after ACL surgery so much sooner than a typical athlete. Um, but yeah, as far as the life I live today and the quality of life, like I contribute everything to um, the ketogenic lifestyle because one of my favorite pieces about the ketogenic lifestyle is like this this level of consciousness you have to have. Like it's not just about the foods you're eating and the macros and this and that, but it's like really when you start looking at mitochondrial health and just stressors in general, it's like you have to be mindful of like everything you think, do, and feel and what contributes to all of them. So um, I think be, between learning more about the subconscious mind and the conscious mind and stress and the chemicals that are released and then how food plays such a major role in that as well, um, I think that's everything. And I think that's why now with my understanding on a basic level of epigenetics and um, things like that, it's like, man, like there's so many pieces that are being approached from a singular focus of, you know, the ketogenic lifestyle. And like I said, it's very complex to me. It's like that consciousness piece to all areas of life attribute to that lifestyle. Um, and so I, I think that's exactly why I'm seeing the success I'm seeing um, with my health and then, you know, my quality of life in general. So are you are you coaching others or you know what's your involvement with in addition to helping yourself what yeah, are you doing so, in the world of keto Yeah so I'm doing a lot of things you know I've been um for a little over 2 years now um been supporting myself through a ketogenic uh, health coaching business working with mm -hmm. clients and groups of people to help them optimize their efforts and guide them along the way and support them and that came because after the third diagnosis in 2017 I was getting ready to compete three months later for the season. And I just like that, that third diagnosis was, it wasn't like the other two where the first one was like super devastating victim mentality. Second one a little bit, but I was like, no, I already did it once. I can do it again. The third time it was like, man, like, what do I do to help people like and help myself with this? Like, how do I spin this? And, mm -hmm. and it's what I say put, took me from self to purpose. And I was like, man, like competing, like, no one really knows if I compete or not unless I tell them because it's not televised anymore. It's not like a, like a mainstream sport in America and no one cares if I do well or not. They just care what I represent and that I'm living my life and trying to help people. And I was like, man, like competition takes so much time and effort and sacrifice. Like let's, let's re engineer the, the efforts and let's put it towards my purpose. And so I decided to walk away from competition, turn down sponsorships and doing demos and anything that, I made money in that manner. I just left behind and uh -huh. I didn't have much of a plan. And then one opportunity led to another and I started coaching a, an executive group. Um, and that's just when it took off. And I was just like, man, I had to do something to support myself. Why not do that by helping people? And so today I, I, um, yeah, I do some coaching. I'm working on writing a book, um, creating a online course 
and speaking. I've been speaking a little over a year and um, yeah, going to places like Chile next month to speak with actually Dr. Ryan Lowry and um, Metabolic Health Summit. Uh, I did a little informal speech and they, they told me the night before I was going to be talking. So um, <laughs> things like that, but I got to perform there. So all the things I yeah. do today is just to share what I've learned and what I've experienced and to help put that into different forms for people to digest and implement themselves. Because at the end of the day, my mission is to inspire new perspective that leads others to take new action. So um, if I can share any piece of my journey and my perspective that helps shift someone's perspective more than just like, Hey, do this diet, lose some weight, but it's more like, Hey, you know, make these shifts and you'll see your life enhance in all areas of life. It's, it's a focus of prioritizing the brain. So that's just my objective. So everything I do today is to give back um, two of my biggest, you know, pillars uh, that I believe in in life is growth and contribution. So the more I grow and learn, the more I want to contribute to society and help people do the same. Well, that's, you know, what kind of people are you attracting? Do you attract people again that are athletes that just want to improve their performance or are you attracting people that have cancer, for instance? Like what, what have you noticed about the people that uh, you interact with and you coach? Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a good variety of people, you know, of course my, my brains, um, like in my story with the brain tumor, um, experiences, things like that, I get a lot of people going through similar experiences asking, you know, what they can do. And so I recommend resources, um, and I give them my advice, um, things like that. But, uh, the majority of my clientele is like, um, you know, like the type a executive people that are like, man, like I'm doing everything. Like. Um, you know, I got, I got the job, I got the, you know, the family, the house, the money, but like, man, like, why can't just look like, I don't know why I can't drop this weight. Like, what do I do? And, or, or they're like, my, my brain's suffering. And like, I heard a little bit about keto and, you know, uh, things like that. So as I just really, you know, um, help them optimize. And as far as athletes, um, I get more, um, like a lot of my clients are athletic, meaning like they work out quite a bit or they're cyclists and mountain bike riding, things like that. Um, but not like professional, but, um, a lot of the people that do reach out to me that are on that like competitive level of sport more so advice or like, Hey, like I'm down to do this. I'm disciplined, but like, do you have any resources? And so I do my best to share and have conversations. But as far as my clientele, yeah, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of executives and entrepreneurs that want to maximize their, um, their efforts in terms of their, their brain health, because they recognize that their health is wealth, but also they're like, man, like I got all this stuff set, but like, I just can't lose the weight. Like, can you help me? So, um, in, in the back end of my mind, I'm like, oh, we're going to teach you a little bit more than just how to lose weight, but how to prioritize your brain's health. So that way everything else is a ripple effect. Any, uh, I don't know, you know, without revealing names, but any stories that stick out at you of amazing transformations in people? Yeah, for sure. So, um, Miles Sullivan, he's, um, he was at Metabolic Health Summit. I dragged him out there before I went on to perform when I was talking. And, um, he reached out to me with his mom uh, a little over a year ago asking for advice, um, to like, to help control his seizures. He was looking at a third brain surgery. Surgeon wanted to remove more brain matter because that's what they thought was creating the seizures. And they'd been following me for a little bit and were following what I was, uh, sharing about keto and they did their own research as well. And, they just wanted um, guidance and support. So I let them know like, hey, like I'm not a doctor or medical professional by any means, but I'm down to help guide you and support you along the way. And so um, because of that, you know, he went from seven seizures a day and they just started trickling down less and less per day to when it was like a couple of days a week to maybe one here and there during the week. And then uh, as of recently, he's going on six months without a single seizure. And um, wow. that, yeah, he's been adhering to the ketogenic diet. And actually when he felt one come on a couple of weeks ago, 
he drank a, uh, a keto up a, um, a canned beverage version of BHB. It's a free cell form rather than the salt form from prove it. And he felt the seizure come on and just drank one of those and it went away. He had never been able to do that before. Um, so that's, that's one story that's really profound. And then, you know, I got a couple other stories of different clients getting off, you know, metformin and getting their blood sugar under 120 for the first time in years. And then being like, so ecstatic, they're in tears to see that. And, um, yeah, just people, you know, uh, like, as you know, like being able to just like remove a bunch of, um, body fat and weight over time, like just seeing tr- like dramatic transformations. And, um, then I think my favorite part is them saying like how enjoyable and like, almost effortless it was once they had the understanding of what food did and what they needed to focus on as far as avoiding and adding in and just learning how to optimize every effort along the way. But yeah, Miles is probably one of my favorite stories just because he was looking at a third brain surgery and he eliminated that that opportunity and that risk just by changing up his diet when his surgeon was like, oh, that's so radical to do, but cutting your head open apparently isn't. So um, that's just one of my favorite stories to share. Yeah, no, that's great. Do you run into um, cases where the person they seem to be trying their best, but it's just not working? Or does that, uh, you know, if people really try, like it pretty much always works to help them? Yeah, I, I, f- I find that it's if their effort is in, then they're going to see success. And that's what I've experienced is is when they're fully committed, they'll, they'll see the success that they're looking for, um, especially when they develop patience and they look at it as a lifestyle change, not just like, hey, in two weeks I can drop 10 pounds because I let them know really what, what's kind of going on there. Um, the only time I have, um, people that I'm working with that don't see the results in the manner they're looking for or in general is when they're not committing and they're, you know, they're letting the, the starches and sugars sneak in or the drinks here and there, or they're just, um, sometimes like I had a call today with a client and he just, he found out that he was, uh, doing, using a two tablespoon measuring spoon rather than one, like he thought. And so, um, he was doing like double what we were talking about for one of his meals. And he was like, Oh, like, man, like, I feel like if I could optimize that, then I'd see their results I'm looking for. I was like, yeah, like that's a, that's a huge win. You know, like realizing you're doing double than what you thought, like that's pretty, pretty different. So, um, yeah, in short, I think it's when people commit to it and they have a higher purpose than just, you know, um, body composition or something like that, but it's like really their quality of life and their brain health. Um, that's when they commit and that's when they see the real magic happen. Otherwise it's just when people are kind of like on the fence and kind of like, ah, I don't know, like I haven't committed yet. Like I want to, and it's like, well, when you're ready, then you'll see it, see it take place. Yeah. Well, very good. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you and maybe to ask about your coaching and you know find out more? Yeah, so uh, my website is just joshperrybmx.com. And then all my social media, whether it's uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff, it's just joshperrybmx. So I'm most active on um, responding via email or Instagram DM, but I do try to check all of them pretty regularly. So uh, joshperrybmx. That's great. Well, Josh, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you, Richard. I appreciate the opportunity to share. Like I said, it means the world to me, and I'm glad that you uh, get to see the performance at Metabolic Health Summit, and uh, I'm excited for this year's event as well. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. 
In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.